Welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. This summer, we're walking through the book of Romans, taking a master class from the rich and powerful book of the New Testament. Romans is one of the greatest books of the Bible. It is the essence of the gospel and provides the rich doctrine of our faith. Romans was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome, and God has used it to change the hearts of men and ultimately the world. In Romans, we see the impact of our sin, which reveals our deep need for God, and then the importance of living out our faith in Jesus today. Whether a lifelong student of the Bible to a first-time believer, this is a masterclass for everyone. Let's listen in. Good, good morning, Rolling Hills Church. It's so good to be with you all here uh, in this Nashville campus. Uh, if we haven't met, my name is John. I'm the men's and sports pastor, uh, Central, so I kind of oversee that from, a, from all the campus perspective. And if we haven't met, I'd love to meet you uh, in the back after service, get to know you, introduce yourself, please. Uh, a little bit about me, here's my family. And so this is my wife, Kristen, on the, the very far over here. And so she is from Seattle, Washington. We met down in Riverside, California at Cal Baptist. Uh, so we've been married seven years. She's currently a nurse over at Williamson Medical Center. And uh, I, I hate this story. It's embarrassing, but I share it because it's how we met. But my wife and I actually went on our first date because at small Christian colleges, apparently you can get away with a man auction where people are bought, men are bought with Bible bucks. And so that is how we, that's, yeah, I know. And, and I willingly share this out loud. And I know by now I probably just shouldn't. But my wife bought me with Bible bucks and we went bowling on our first date because of that man auction. But you know what? Hey, the thing is, we have two amazing kiddos now. We've been married seven years. And so Noah is my little guy right here. He is four. And so he got every part of my analytical brain. He will literally, like, whether it, oh, that's not good. Ooh. <laughs> And it stayed on there, guys. <laughs> yeah. The, amen. The Spirit's working. Uh, so he got every part of my analytical brain. And, and so he will, like, whether it's at our house or potentially your house, like, he starts looking for water pipes and where they go. And he will open your cupboards and be like, Dad, there's the water pipe. It's going to go this way, through this cupboard, and all the way over. And it is the best. But he got that trait from me. And so my uh, two-year-old Madeline here, Maddie, uh, she is just wonderful. So she is our, uh, loves to cuddle. She loves to just eat snacks on the couch with me. You know, she is hilarious, but in the most rebellious sense of ways. Like, in her mind, she thinks while I'm doing Latin homework last night, like, I'm just going to sneak up on Dad, take his book as he's writing in it and his pen, and then start thinking it's makeup. And this is, like, just Sharpie pen. And so that is her definition of rebellious fun. And she just walks off laughing, and I'm just like, I don't even know if I should 
should I coach on this? You know, I should before it gets too late into the teenage years, and then we are, uh, well, that's a whole different issue. But that is my little family right there. And so we have just been, we've been blessed to move here from Southern California where I was a pastor there and now at Rolling Hills. And so for many of you who I've met, just thank you for welcoming us with open arms. It's been a great journey so far. This morning, I have the privilege of jumping into our Roman series at really a pivotal place in this chapter. It's one of those amazing chapters in scripture where it's just Paul, it's just packed full of what it means to follow Jesus today. And so in the series, we've already moved through some incredible chapters and some incredible themes uh, in Paul's letter to the Romans. In the earlier chapters, we discussed that the reality is, is we've all fallen, fallen short of the glory of God. And, and though that we were once entangled in sin, we can now experience true freedom and joy in God. God is faithful, and because of his grace and mercy, he now says that we are sons and daughters adopted into his family. He says that we have an incredible history to still partake with him. He has been faithful, faithful to Israel, faithful to the early church, and he's faithful to our church today. Amen? So this morning we're going to dive into Romans 12, and and if you've brought your Bibles, you can go ahead and uh, get to there. And, And this morning, as we look at Paul's letter, this chapter 12, this is a turning point in the letter because this is where Paul starts to say, I am assuming this is who you are now in Christ. And if this is who you are, this is the type of life I am calling you towards. This is the way that I'm calling you to carry yourself with those who are in the family of God, us here today, but then even those who are beyond those doors, outside, into the community. And so let's go ahead and dive into these first two verses. Go ahead and open up. And this is a central part of this chapter. I'm going to tell you from the start. These first two verses is what Paul is going to build on throughout the rest of the chapter. So if you have our Bibles, it's Romans 12, 1. And if you don't, we should have it on the screens right here. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to, to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So, so as modern readers, we hear Paul's words, and quite frankly, most of us probably think, great, great job, Paul, really encouraged by this. Such a good reminder. The illustration's really cool with the renewing yourself, living sacrifice. But friends, for our friends back in the early church, they actually probably were leaning in a little more on this passage, on this verse. Because you see, in ancient culture, all the various religions were steeped in the practice of sacrifices, even our own. And so now, it was, most of the time, it was, you know, an animal sacrifice. Maybe it was something from the marketplace, like a grain. But depending on the pagan religion, sometimes, especially in Rome, it was possible that a a human sacrifice would be on the table as an option. And so, you could imagine, like, for those hearing this letter being read out loud to them, You know, there's at least one guy, probably more of a recent convert, started following Jesus, that he's hearing this message, and probably he's like in the back of the room, and he just wants to sit there and like whisper to his neighbor, because maybe he's from one of those pagan religions, like, "Uh, is Paul still talking metaphorically here? Is this literal, or is this metaphorical? 
Thankfully, if you've been listening to this letter all along, you know it's metaphorical. And so what Paul is really doing is helping us understand that if you've truly walked across that line of following Jesus, everything about our life is now offered to God on the altar, metaphorically. For the original listeners, they're redefining their understanding of what it means to place something on the altar, to be sacrificed. It's not an animal. It's not some good that we value from the marketplace. It's literally our lives. Paul's still talking about the fact that we are called metaphorically to lay down our lives. We are the sacrifice, the living sacrifice. And if you notice in these verses that, that Paul is hinging everything in this chapter on a few phrases. The first phrase, phase, phrase being, in view of God's mercy. That is, in view of God's great mercy for us, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. In other words, in light of what God has done for you, remember him and now offer yourself to him. So friends, if you want to be a living sacrifice for God, the first step is to actually recognize what he has already done for you. Becoming a living sacrifice starts with the posture, with a posture before God, which actually overflows from us being made alive in Christ. That's your fill-in. Becoming a living sacrifice is a posture before God, which overflows from being made alive in Christ. You see, in this little phrase, Paul's actually continuing a theme from chapter 6, where he described that if you are in Christ, then you have been made alive and new in God. And so Paul is expanding that theme. So if you've been made alive in Christ, then it naturally produces this posture before God where you go to the altar and you say, you can have all of me. I surrender everything to you. You've given me everything, so I offer it back. And you know, you'll notice at the tail end of this verse that Paul is saying that it's a posture of remembering God's mercy plus the action of laying down our lives, which is what makes up true and proper worship. And so we can go ahead, and, and that is your next fill in. Guys, as amazing as that worship just was, and I love those, that hymn, our worship does go beyond our, our voices, our melodies that we can carry. Our worship is far beyond that. True worship is first taking on the heart posture of saying, Lord, I owe you everything, and then the act of surrendering every part of my life to Jesus. That's your next fill-in. The act of surrendering every part of my life to Jesus. Each time that you're tempted to turn to the ways of your old self, as Paul described in Romans 5 and Romans 6, and instead you choose to be who he's calling you to be, that's true worship. And offering God every part of our lives, Paul naturally is tying the themes of 1 and 2 together, verses 1 and 2, when he says, don't conform to the world, but let your mind be transformed and renewed in God, his good and perfect will. So Paul is specifically highlighting that that we need to be the call to transform our minds and have it be renewed in his will. And that is the next step of being a living sacrifice. You have this posture, and then you, you start to ask yourself, where in my mind needs to be renewed? So what does that practically mean, though? This is your next fill-in. Well, renewal of our mind begins when we turn our attention, desires, and habits towards God, not ourselves or the world, as verse 2 describes. And the key, the key here is that you really cannot do this alone. You cannot autonomously renew your mind according to the will of God. Because you've been made alive and new in God, 
We do this along with the Holy Spirit, who helps us discern God's will in the best for our lives in a messy and broken world. That's your next fill-in. With the Holy Spirit, we can discern God's will in a messy world. So Paul is instructing us in this verse, too, to be on guard against what can, uh, our potential conforming to the world. So we must always be asking ourselves, is this God's best for our lives? Is this the way of Jesus? It means discerning our actions and life decisions along with God, inviting him into our thoughts, into our habits and decisions that lay ahead. And friends, this is a crucial part of how we grow in wisdom in a wayward world. We grow in discernment by reading the word, being led by the spirit, and letting those two shape us as people. And now, as much as I am getting going about this, guys, uh, we're covering the whole chapter today. So this is verses 1 and 2, and I wish we had a whole series on verses 1 and 2. But the really important thing is we're going to have to chart our way through the rest of the, the chapter now. But the important thing is this, that you recognize that Paul has grounded the rest of the chapter on these two, pass on these two verses. If you've been made alive in Christ, then you truly understand his grace and mercy for you which then produces a heart posture of complete surrender to God. Your daily surrender is an act of worship. That is the true definition of worship. And we continue to lean into the Spirit's work of renewing our minds and inviting him into developing our desires, thoughts, habits, and our deepest longings as people. And the Spirit's work is to help align those with God's will. And as we do that, we naturally take on a posture of humility before God and before others. And we offer ourselves as living sacrifices. And that will drastically impact every relationship you have. And so as we move forward, I want us to think through the next two sections of, go ahead and keep this in truth, in mind, that we're called to mirror God's own character with how we serve our church family. That's in here, that will be verses three through eight. And then witness to non-believers. It's 9 through 21. We'll finish on the back end. But this, everything we find in verse 1 and 2, drastically impacts how we treat each other as a church family. And then how we carry that out throughout those doors to loving those outside of our church. So let's go ahead and turn to verses 3 through 8, which then we're going to talk more through how does this shape our life as a church and church community. Verses 3 through 8. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, see, there, there is doubling down on the posture of grace, recognition. Do not think more highly of yourself than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with, the, with what the faith has distributed to each of you. For just as, one, as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have all the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Again, the foundation of our life together as the family of God is our recognition that we all come together, guys, saying that we know what Jesus has done for us. And that changes everything about how we act, how we think, and how we live together. 
And I love Paul's illustration in this because it reminds us of our deep need for each other. The church and its believers are like a body. He's wired each of us differently. He's given each of us unique skill sets. He's given each of us unique experiences. But these all come together to make a thriving church, to make our church thrive. Each of us has a spiritual gift. That's your first fill-in. Each of us has a spiritual gift, a role, and a responsibility to care for and serve God's family, the church. The church is not a community that, that uplifts competition or comparison of worldly things or influence. It's a community where each person is valued and seen in the ways that God has called them to serve. No one has a lesser job or calling in the way we serve God. He sees you, he sees them right now as people are serving in kids' ministry. And he's seen you when uh, you are the only adult in the room, especially in that toddler room, and there's some poopy diapers. He sees you when you have to change all of them and put it in the very smelly trash can and maybe even take out that trash can. He sees you. He sees you when you're the one staying after service to care for someone that you know needs to be cared for. He sees you when you call someone who's in the church who needs encouragement. He sees you as the way you care for each other. And that's why when we talk about serving at our campus, we need you. We want you to be there to thrive as a church. And if you aren't involved in serving at this time, I, I'd encourage you to. Because I promise you that you'll grow as a believer and follower of Jesus, but you're also going to be forming deep relationships with members in this church that you will one day say, that, that person's a part of my family. That's the role of the church in our lives. But the difficult part of this passage, too, is that there's actually a warning from Paul in here. And that's if we lose sight of God's grace, our pride will cause us to be patterned after the world. That's your next that's your next. Paul's warning, if we lose the sight of God's grace, our pride will lead us to the pattern of the world. And the former one was, if you need each other, if just in case you missed it. Some of you know the last few years has been incredibly difficult uh, for churches in America. And it seems like every few months we hear of another church pastor, most of the time it's been mega church pastors, that have engaged with some form of scandal. And as a pastor, it's heartbreaking. As a young pastor, it's heartbreaking. But I wonder if Paul's warning in this passage is a sober wake-up call, is the beginning of a sober wake-up call for the way we do church, especially here in Western Christianity. Because you see, if we lose sight of God's mercy, his beautiful church can turn ugly quickly. It's a sobering reminder for our church that we should never fall victim to imaging ourselves after the world but instead we're called to witness to it. That's what the world, the world needs from us as the church. We are the salt and the light in a dark world. And when you read this first verse of this passage in the last together, you get somewhere, something like this. To be healthy, healthy, loving community that truly represent God's kingdom, we are again and again reminded of our continual need to recognize God's grace and mercy, which leads us to a place of humility before God, and others as a living sacrifice. And in the context of our church, that means we're encouraging everyone to utilize their gifts because we are one body and we need each part of it. You see, this is a community that we are learning the depths of, of God's mercy and grace for us. 
that in his mercy, he's withholding judgment from us. This is your next fill-in. Having God, God's mercy is when he withholds his judgment of us. And instead, he offers grace, which is his continual favor or gift to us. That is, giving grace is bestowing a gift of favor. And experiencing that truth and reality is what continues to grow us as followers of Jesus so that we can properly love and witness to the outside world. As Paul describes in the remaining of the chapter, and notice that these are connected, guys, verses 1 through 2, 3 through 8, and then 9 through 21. If you mess, if, you, if we're not on 1 and 2 together, then the following will fall apart. Notice that Paul has moved from how we treat each other here as the family of God, now outwards to the community. And remember in Rome, this is really like the heart of pagan and secular culture. So remember that our, his audience is not so much different than ours. So verses 9 through 21 read this. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be, de be devoted to one another. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Serving the Lord, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with the people of lowly position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay any evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, and I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Amen, right? End of sermon. I can go, we can all go home. So what you've noticed, though, is that Paul is bringing this full circle to close out this chapter. All these next points return us to what we've already discussed with new application. That truly experiencing God's grace and mercy is what shapes our love and witness. That's your fill-in. Truly experiencing God's grace and mercy is what shapes our love and interest. Definitely witness our love and witness. others, even in the face of adversity and evil. Our witness begins with first recognizing our place before God. That's our second fill-in, our place before God. As followers of Jesus, we cannot offer sincere love and grace without first knowing it from God, though. That's your third fill-in for this section. We offer sincere love and grace because we intimately know it from God. Friends, when you read this passage over and over, and I really would encourage you to, what you recognize is this, what Paul is saying is that walk in the ways of Jesus. Be like him. Be joyful like him. Be patient like him. Treat your enemy and your competition as people to be cared for like he did. Treat the lowly and less fortunate as worthy of all of our attention. And above all, love people like Jesus. Slow ourselves down 
in our busy lives to see those who have not been seen and remind them that they're loved by God. We're here to remind people that they have a heavenly father whether they want to acknowledge it or not. And they, he cares for them. And our witness is a glimpse of that for them. You know, there's a popular phrase out there that, that hurt people hurt people. Has anyone heard that before? And you know what? I hope that that's not true for many followers of Jesus. And I would love it to be more common that we as followers of Jesus are known for a phrase like this. Loved people love others well. Loved people love others well. And that's because we are full of God's mercy and grace. And then we love others as he has loved us. We offer sincere love and grace because we intimately know it from God. So practically, does that means that we're asking ourselves daily, are we the type of people who are first offering mercy and withholding judgment? Are we the type of people to first offer grace and offer a favor to someone who, quite frankly, does not deserve it? But if God did it for us when we did not deserve it, then we're called to do the same for others. The truth is, though, that's, that's far easier said than done. That's why we need each other, and that's why we need the Spirit to lead us in Christ-likeness in a broken, messy world. Our friendships, our relationships, our marriage, our neighborhood, our workplace, friends, they are messy and broken. Our lives are messy and broken. But we have the privilege of followers of Jesus to lay down each of these parts of our lives. And on the altar, when we place them, we get to say, all this is yours, Lord. All of this is yours. That is how we, be a, we model being living sacrifice for everyone. And I love that, that Paul closes this chapter out with this reminder that we're to overcome evil by doing good. Friends, our job isn't to win the spiritual war against evil. Jesus has already done that. Jesus has already done that. We also don't need to win the war on culture. Our role in the public square is to meet every evil with love and goodness. That's your last fill-in. Our role, it may be difficult, but to seek, to seek to meet every evil with love and goodness. It is to be a witness to love and to show the grace of God, and to treat our church family and those outside of us like Jesus would. And so we come back to their very beginning of this chapter as we close. In view of God's mercy, that first, few, that first key phrase, in view of God's mercy, and second, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Your main takeaway is this that I would love for you to think about daily. Recognizing God's grace and mercy is our daily step or my daily step to loving and serving my church family and witness to the outside world. My prayer for each of us is that one day when we stand in front of Jesus, we are able to say, Lord, you love me unconditionally and given me mercy and grace that I never deserved. So, Lord, at your altar, I surrender everything to you. And if you can say that, I right now, I bet that you will learn to love people well, to serve and to care for those around you today.
and those beyond these doors as we walk out of church. And this is what Jesus has called us to be as his church, as the family of God, to be living sacrifices for him. Let's pray. Father, we just, we thank you for your love and your grace this morning. May we be a people who represent that so well to others because we know it so deeply from you. Lord, shape us to be people who desire and long for you above all things in this world. For each person here today, Lord, whatever they're walking through in life, I ask that they feel you and know you amidst whatever they are that's good they're going through. Father, build us up as a church that's known for reflecting your deep love for us. Lord, we are so grateful that you've come for us when we never deserved it, that you offered yourself as a sacrifice so we may be living sacrifices. Lord, let us love and cherish each other as you've loved us. In your son's name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Share this episode with friends and family in your life. Make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you are interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.